Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. All right, Bob, here we are back at the boot camp. Hope you're ready for the next episode, Swibbit's Dome to Home edition, as we are down in the nuclear fallout shelter fallout shelter recording studio with our, our wonderful audio engineer, Adam Covington. Our staff seems to be continually expanding. Look, we, we've made it. This is, I feel this is the most official our podcast has ever been at this moment. Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, when we, if you come to Southwestern, everybody talks about the dome. So that's the main building where the president's office is. And then the, the, the dome it's is a pretty a, big dome is a rotunda built. There's a rotunda underneath it. And there's yeah. paintings of previous seminary presidents. I've, it's been rumored that Matt Hensley's beard sometimes as is as long as B.H. Carroll's yeah. beard. And it's also rumored that Beach Carroll's hand in his left hand, there used to be a cigar, but somebody painted over it with black paint. <laughs> I don't know. Is that true? He, okay. Our audio engineer cannot say, or he could be he fired. Not, neither right? confirm nor deny. No, no, yeah. So there's also a really weird telephone closet. <laughs> yeah. Well, we kind of put, put that on the picture. Yeah. Like right next to the, like, there's this like little bitty, could barely fit one person telephone booth closet thing. And it says courtesy phone. Yeah. Well, Jimbo, back in the day when there were, you did not have cell phones, right. sometimes institutions would have a, a courtesy phone, which would allow you as a, a guest at that location or facility to call, not a long distance number, unless you had a, a phone card yeah. to dial long distance, yep. but they'd allow you to make local calls to say, like, check in uh, with the church secretary if you were a yeah. student here. Yeah. Hey, Ethel, is anything going on at the church that I need to know about? <laughs> Probably was named Ethel or Doris. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or Gladys. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Man, we're so excited to be here for a few days. It's it'd be the first time either of us have stepped fully into the professor role to teach a D-Men seminar on church revitalization replanting, and super excited that we get this opportunity. Yeah, it's fantastic. I'm, I'm grateful for Dr. Queen, Matt Queen, the provost and the chair of School of Evangelism. Yeah. He's a great guy. He's been a friend of us, Replant, for quite some time, and uh, we've got to get him on a, an episode of the boot camp. He's written a new book about evangelism that's yeah. fantastic that we just need to have a conversation with him. But he, he asked him us, down here into the fallout shelter while we're here. Yeah, yeah. But it'd be great to, to connect with him. But yeah, I'm just thankful. You know, Jimbo, one of the, the things that we've hoped to do over the last couple of years as the Replant team is to be able to help shape the conversation for leaders who are studying church revitalization and replanting. There's so many good resources out there, and it's just a, a privilege and an honor to be part of this experience of presenting our side of the story, right, in terms of replanting and revitalization. Yeah, so last episode, we talked about the implications of patterns of forced termination and how that's a symptom of a foundational issue, which is leading to a church's decline, contributing to that church's decline. Towards the end of that, though, one of the things we talked about that I think springboards into this episode was if you're going to a church to be hired as the, to be called as the pastor there, and you hear that they have this pattern that's something you should look into and only go if they have had outside help yeah. to help them. I thought it would be helpful for us today. What if, Bob, we—what are other things—let's say, let's say they don't have this necessarily this pattern of 
forced terminations, or maybe they do. But when you're in that process and they're looking at you and you're looking at them, they've awkwardly come to wherever you were preaching to do the view of the call thing. <laughs> if they haven't just listened online, but like, you know, everybody knows who they are when they oh, come in and then yeah. the whole church is like, oh man, the pastor's leaving. Or getting picked. Yep, he's getting or picked. they're like, oh man, yes, the pastor's leaving. Either way, they couldn't terminate you, but they might be happy for you to go. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the, the transfer portal has opened up. Yep. And what are some things we should consider so let's just kind of one by one, let's, let's, let's rattle them off and see if we can get to 10 so that we can call this 10 questions you should ask. I think so. All right. Here's the first one. What are your expectations for me and for my family? Right. So for me, we're talking about professional, mm-hmm. the, the course of fulfilling your call to ministry and people have expectations. And here's what I know about expectations. Unexpressed expectations always lead to disappointment and conflict. Yep. And so you want to do your best to get those out there. Jimbo, when I, when Barb and I got, when we were first married, I had probably a suitcase full of expectations about how marriage should be and was going to be. And can I just tell you that none of those came true? None of them. No. Jimbo, she, you can ask her about this next time you see her. For the first week we were married, after we got back from our honeymoon and moved into our apartment, she cried the whole first week. Yeah. I, th- I thought it was over. Awesome. I thought it was over. <laughs> no, I, I don't know why she cried, but she just cried. I mean, I, it was bad. I was like, man, yeah. this is not, this is not good. Like what, yeah. what's happening? She just, you know, I guess it was PTSD for marrying me. I don't know yeah, what the deal was. you were was. not the Prince Charming she thought you <laughs> no, were. I certainly was not. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. I think so often conflict comes from where we just did not know that that's what was expected. And yeah. so the, you know, my wife and I call it the the movie in your head. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, you had a movie in your head of how this was going to go. And, and so when we, one of the ways we have learned to address conflict in our marriage is to say, okay, so the movie in my head was that, you know, I was going to come in and tell you. So the, the funny one we laugh at is my family is a very celebratory family. We celebrate everything like big. Whereas Audrey's family is kind of a critical family. And they, they like, like if you were like, we won the lottery, they'd be like, oh, the taxes, <laughs> right? Like, and, so, and so legitimately I was working at a, um, a mortgage place and I was answering phones and I went for an interview to get a promotion to uh, a job that I was not qualified for. But I interviewed well and so I got the job and I was super excited because it was more money and we were like below the poverty line. And, and I come home and I was like, hey, I got that job. And she goes, oh, good. And that was it. And I was like, that's, that's it? Like, what, what, what are we doing? Like, we got to celebrate this. And I was like, the movie in my head was that you were going to freak out. And you were like, let's go get tacos. Let's make a big deal. But that's not what she did. So uh, I think it's a really good question is what, what are the expectations? And I would, I would add further clarifying questions of your own, customize yeah. further clarifying questions of if they give you a job description, when you, this sentence, what is, what does that look like? What does that mean? You want to get as clear a picture as possible of what is expected of you. Absolutely. The larger the church, the larger the search committee, the more different and the more in number are the expectations. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's important to clarify. Here's the second one I, I would say is asking those who you are interviewing with what they believe identify the marks of a healthy church. What does yeah. a healthy church look like? And, mm-hmm. and dialogue with them about that and, and try to get some understanding. Now, some of them are going to be stumped, right? And they're not going to have yeah. 
much to offer, but some are going to have some suggestions or some statements that will help you understand what their insights are or what their opinions are about what the marks of a healthy church are. Some of them may not even be biblical, right? They may just be cultural and they may be experiential. But it's important to know because usually a search committee, the, the committee that's interviewing you are a cross-section, hopefully a cross-section of the church body. And so that's really how a process is put together. You try to get a number of different people from a number of different stages of life and perspectives, young and old, that sort of thing. And you try to learn from them what their opinions are. So I, I said, let that be informative. Don't be discouraged by it if it, mm. does, if it doesn't match with where you are yeah. um, and your convictions. But know that's where some of those folks are starting at in terms of evaluating the health of a local church. And then I would even add to that, ask them how they measure up to those yeah. standards and marks, right? So if they tell you whatever marks they tell you, then you should go, all right, well, how healthy would you say this church is? Yeah. And part of that is to see what their perception of reality is, how how connected to the reality are they? And then I would follow that up asking an associational leader, state convention leader, you know, is that how healthy they are? And so that you get a clearer picture of what you're walking into. And if none of them involve their own obedience and missional efforts, then you know you're going to be uh, in for a lot of work. Yeah, it doesn't mean don't go. Mm-hmm. It, it maybe very much means, I would say it very much means if you do go, you know exactly what your first sermon series probably is, yeah. right? Like, what what is a healthy church? Yeah. And, and let's walk through that biblically. Yeah. yeah. Here's the third. Why did the previous pastor or pastors leave? Mm-hmm. You, you want to find out, and we touched on that in the previous episode, that we did here. You just really want the story. And and so if you didn't catch that episode, go back and, and we really unpack that more fully. So we, we don't necessarily need to do that here, but, but find out why the guys who were there before you left and dialogue with them, not only with the people, but even contacting the previous pastors. Here's the fourth one. This is a really important one, Jimbo. What is the community around the church like? Mm-hmm. Here's what we know in some declining and dying churches. They're commuters. They don't live in the community any longer. They drive in. So they, they know a few things about the community, but they really don't know the community. They don't live in the community. Mm-hmm. And so if you're trying to revive a, a declining church and you have commuters that don't shop, get gas, groceries, kids go to school in the local community, and then they're adversarial towards that community mm-hmm. or they're completely disconnected or demographically, diametrically different than them, then you know you've got a, a long road ahead of you. Yeah, and so not only what is the community like around the church, how many members live, what percentage of the members live in the community, Mm -hmm. what is the church members' perception of the community, and then I would try, if you can be there physically present, or if you can't, lean on that associational leader or state convention leader that can help you what is the community's perception of the church? See if you can figure that out. If you can get there present, you can go, and you can you can literally go to the gas, closest gas station and go, hey, I saw there's a church around the corner. What do you know about that church? Mm-hmm. And see what they see what they know, see what they think. Ask the local elementary school that's right next to them and, and try to figure out. Again, I don't think these are go, don't go, but they are certainly clarifying issues for what need to be your priorities when you get there. Yeah, some of them are exploratory to discern the initial phase of ministry that needs to take place there. And if your heart is aligned to that and your skills right. are aligned to that, some yeah, of them are— Are you are, ready? Are you, yeah, ready, are you ready, ready to ready? jump into that? Mm-hmm. 
the other ones would be enders. Like yes. <laughs> there's some enders like that. Okay, that's an yeah. ender, right? And he, you know, I actually heard one guy. He he got up during an interview because they he asked a question and it was an ender. And he's like, okay, thanks. I'm gonna go ahead and go yeah. now. <laughs> I was like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he, you know, Keelan Cook has talked about trying to understand the community around the church and the church reputation in the eyes of the community through the fourfold panoramic window. Yeah. And we'll, we did a podcast on that, and we also have that document, so we'll link that in this podcast. Yeah. The other thing I would ask, number five, would be, what have been some of the greatest joys, frustrations, and difficulties the congregation has faced? Mm. Like, just get them to do kind of a narrative history. Like, tell, yeah. me, tell me about what you, like, what's been really great? What's been really hard? You know, what have been some of the, the pain points that you guys have had to endure over? Yeah. And so what will happen is some unscripted things will come out that that did not make the church background study letter that they sent you, right? Look, here's our church, right? Here's who we are. We're a small but friendly congregation, right? Right. Well, there's a whole lot more there probably to unpack. Yeah, I've said on this podcast before, every single dying church I have ever (laughs) consulted will tell me they are the friendliest church that you'll ever meet. (laughs) <laughs> right? And they'll all say that. Every one of them say that. Every one of them will tell you. And and part of that is so they're friendly within their clique. Yeah. But if you ask anyone who's not within that community, they would not say, our church, the church that I replanted, I remember when they kept telling me that. And I didn't know this because I didn't consult churches at that point. I didn't know this was a pattern. I just knew everybody in the church kept telling me, we're the friendliest church. It's the best thing we got going for us. And every visitor would tell me, they're just not very friendly people. Yeah. And so I said it from the pulpit one day. I said, you guys need to know the perception of our church is that we are not friendly. And you would have thought that I said, the perception of the church is that we are Satan worshipers. <laughs> and they were like, what in the world? How? And they were like, well, they just, they, they're, they're wrong because we are the friendliest. And yeah. so, yeah, when you see friendliest, just know that that might not mean that. Well, people struggle with self-awareness and declining and dying churches absolutely struggle with self-awareness. So here's the sixth one. If you are married, how does the congregation view the pastor's wife? Mm, right? what, yeah. what about the pastor's wife? Tell me, tell me about how you view the pastor's wife. So I, I interviewed a couple different places, and I would hear things like this. Well, the pastor's wife, she did everything. She was involved. She was great. She played the piano. She, like, baked mm-hmm. the cookies for the WMU, you know. She did this and that. And then another one's like, well, the pastor's wife, she really didn't come very often. And then when she came, she looked at her phone the whole time while he was preaching, and she kind of, when as soon as the service was over, she left, right? Yeah. And so, <laughs> like— yeah. Okay, well, you somewhere get, between those two. Somewhere between those two, you get the view, but then you also understand like, is this a two for one? You know, mm-hmm. kind of yep. a situation. Do you expect the, the pastor's wife to lead ministry? All those sorts of things, and so let them dialogue about that. Yeah. So when we were interviewing for the replant we did in Jacksonville. The replant itself did not have a whole lot of expectations on the wife, but the mother church that was our sponsor church to bring us in, they they did a surprise, like we didn't know they were going to interview my wife. And my wife at that time especially really had a pretty high anxiety, uh, and she had pretty high anxiety about the whole situation we were walking into. And we get there, and it's a pretty large church that was interviewing me, and so they had every single pastoral staff member interview me back to back to back to back to back to back. Oh, gauntlet. It was a gauntlet in one day. And I'm sitting in this gauntlet, and like I'm just rotation, no breaks, no breaks, and I can feel my phone going, just receiving text messages. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on, I don't know what's happening. And so I finally was like, hey, can I take a bathroom break? I go look at my phone, and my wife had text in all caps, this is an interview. 
And then the next text, they are interviewing me. Next text, I told them everything. (laughs) (laughs) They know everything. (laughs) I'm now crying in the office. (laughs) Like, and so the first time the pastor of that church met my wife, she was being interviewed by his secretary who decided it was her responsibility to interview my wife. And she's just, my wife's just weeping. And she's like, good to meet you, Pastor. And so I'm still surprised they ended up hiring us, but it it worked out, I guess. Well, she's fun and you're fun and you guys are friendly people. So, you know, (laughs) who wouldn't want Jimbo and Audrea as their, you know, Jimbo's their pastor. I almost said as their pastors, but that would... (laughs) No, no, that would would not be... No, they're only men can be pastors. (laughs) Who wouldn't want Jimbo as their pastor and Audria as the pastor's wife? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. And here's the seventh question. If I am being successful, what am I doing? Right. Yeah, there's a, kind of another look at the second, uh, at the, the ex- first question, the expectations. What are your expectations for me? And I think it's important to revisit it from a different angle and not just what are your expectations, because that's kind of the bare minimum, but like, what does success look like? Can you define that? And is is there a undue expectation to reach a numeric, you know, mile marker by a year? Like, oh, we need to grow by 25% in the next year. That's what success would look like. And so there would need to be some conversation about that. Absolutely. Here's the eighth question. This is an important one. And I know guys hesitate to ask this, but how much are you going to pay me? Mm-hmm. And if there are going to be increases, how are those handled? Right. Right. So you need to know what you're going to be compensated so mm-hmm. that you can determine not only is this a ministry fit, but is this an economic fit, right? Because I think I've seen too many guys, Jimbo, go into a situation and not give attention to this and be underpaid. And then if you're in a revitalization situation or replanting situation, here's what I can guarantee you will happen. If you start moving the church forward, you're going to take a hit in terms of attendance and economics. Mm-hmm. So the salary's going to dip. Does the church have the resources, and do you have the ability to weather that, right? And let's say things go well. Then is the church going to think about, okay, well, we need to do increases. How are those handled? And is it a kind of a probationary period, and then you get a, a big increase, or then it's percentage after, and those sorts of things, right? So Scripture's very clear that the, the one who pastors and leads and preaches the Word is worthy of not just honor, but double honor, mm-hmm. right? And so— Sometimes churches can have this attitude of let's keep the pastor poor and humble, right? Right. Well, here's the deal. It's the Lord's job to deal with the pastor's attitude and that pastor's heart. Mm -hmm. It's not the treasurer and the personnel committee's job to do that through the paycheck. Yeah. I'm just going to leave that there. You got to figure out now, if you have a passion and a calling to be co-vocational. And, and that's something, you know, the, the pastor that is pastoring redemption now, it's his desire. I mean, he, he does not, they, they even asked him, you know, if we, if we got to a point that you felt like we needed you to be full time instead of the way you want to approach it, what would you do? And he said, then I would feel like it's probably time for me to go somewhere else mm-hmm. because that's, it's not his goal to become full time. So he's taken what what could have been his full-time salary and split that out amongst some other staff members so that he could kind of spread the the load that way. And I love that because it's what he feels called to do. I would not love that if it was just, 
out, completely out of like that's what you're forced to do because we don't want to pay you. Now, if you can't pay a pastor, that's another situation. But I have seen plenty of churches where they had the funds in order to pay a livable wage. We're not talking, you don't have to be wealthy. We're not, you don't need to be, you know, crazy rich, but a livable wage and you have the means to do so. I think you you should take care of that. And I think it's fair to ask questions like that. When when we were moving to Jacksonville, they asked what what salary do you need to make? And I mean, we had been well below the poverty line for our entire ministry. And and so I said, "Look, I don't even know enough to know a number to give you. All I know is we have lived in the hood for 10 years." And my wife said, "If I'm moving her to a different time zone, then we have to make enough money to not live in the hood." You you know the market. You know what that is. I don't know what it is. And so they were able to do it. I mean, they were able to work out where I wasn't making insane amounts of money at all, but I made enough that we were able to live just on the other side of the track, just just barely on the edge of the hood, but not not in the hood. Right. You know, I think one of the, the good conversation points that I've heard AMS leaders say when churches ask them how much they should pay the pastor, an AMS leader will say something like this. If this pastor or his wife— were your son or daughter and their kids mm. were your grandkids, how much would you want them to be paid? Yep. And so it puts the it puts it in a different perspective. It personalizes it, right? Yeah. So I think that's super important. Right. Here's the ninth question. If you have concerns with me, my leadership, or something else, how will you let me know? Mm-hmm. Right. How are we gonna have a feedback loop? What are the feedback loops? Who's gonna do that? Like how will we handle those things? Because there will be concerns that arise. There will be questions that arise. And there needs to be an understanding of here's how we're gonna handle that. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to add a 10th question just so we can round it out to 10. And I think it's a good question to ask. I, I would say, hey, I plan on reaching out to and interviewing each of your former pastors that are still alive and available that'll take my call. What do you expect that they'll tell me about their experience here? And just I think there can be some things that would come out in that conversation that would be really helpful for you. And then you need to actually follow up. And just like they're going to call background you know, references on you mm-hmm. and, and get background on you from references, you need to do the same thing. You need to do some due diligence. And again, it's not necessarily, I'm not, I don't want this to sound like we're saying like, you need to, you know, Burger King, have it my way, custom order a church that you get to pastor. And, and if they don't fit everything that I want them to be and are perfectly healthy, uh, then I'm not going. I mean, if they're perfectly healthy, they're probably not hiring you. Yeah. Uh, and so this is more about, you know, one, is there something I need to know that's an ender? You know, like you you may call and find out, oh, like, oh, the the chairman of deacons is a polygamist. And, and I'm not making that up. I've, I've, I know, I've, I know, that's right? true. And so like, you know, like that might be an ender. Like yeah. that might be a, okay, I'm not walking into that. But it's really wise to walk in at least getting as clear a picture as you can know. And then I want to give this caveat because I encounter this a lot when I talk to young guys, especially going into their first revitalization pastorate. I will start to talk to them about the difficulties of revitalization. And very often, here's what they'll say back to me. Man, I I know that that's usually how that happens, but I've talked to these people and they're very ready to make the changes necessary. Mm. Have you ever heard that? Too many times. Too many times. Has it ever come true? Not once. Not once. No. Uh, and so I hope if, if that's you and you're listening to this, you go, man, that's so bad for those people. I hope you're the exception. Mm-hmm. Haven't encountered it yet. Mm-hmm. Change is hard. And so change is going to be hard for you too. 
Mm-hmm. So go in with eyes wide open as well as you can. Hey, I want to throw out something to our listeners. I was looking the other day. <laughs> we have not had a review on iTunes in for our podcast since like 2001. What? Yeah. 2001? So, we weren't doing this in 2001. Yeah, we were, I, th- I think. Or not 2001. 2001. I'm, I'm getting my numbers wrong. Whatever. 2019. Jeez. 2021. 2021. Okay, all right. All right. Since 2021. All right. I'm dyslexic. All right. All right. Since 2000. <laughs> who, is, who are you hosting this with? <laughs> Both in 2001. <laughs> since 2021. So, all right. But when we travel, we encounter you guys, and you guys are always like, man, this is so helpful. Thank you so much for this podcast. Just do us a favor, and here's why. It's not that we need you to inflate our egos. There's algorithms at play here, right? And if we get reviews, it helps other people discover this podcast. So do us a favor and go put a review on iTunes for us. Share the love. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.